Cicilti kate kukwili tamali, nesio tamali kate kukwili, tamalat kaunestli, totolnaka kiumili shoko tlapoashli, anoko tlatentli, nakatlaoyo tamali chilkosio. Hi, I'm Andrew Coletti, and welcome back to From Eggs to Apples. In our final episode, we're going to be departing a little bit from our usual method of investigating an ancient culture's food, because the culture that we're talking about today is actually not really that ancient. This is a group of people whose society flourished around the 15th and 16th centuries AD. And this is a group of people that have a lot of really amazing achievements in the realm of food, because they gave us a lot of fruits and vegetables that have since spread all over the world and have become really deeply entrenched in the cuisines of various other parts of the world. So if it wasn't for these people, we wouldn't have tomatoes, we wouldn't have avocado, we wouldn't have corn, even chocolate, chili peppers. It's kind of hard to imagine what modern food would look like without any of these things. But these people were the first to cultivate them. I'm talking about the Aztecs. The Aztecs, who are native to a region known as the Valley of Mexico, in the heartland of Mexico, and particularly a group of lakes where their society was concentrated, and their capital city of Tenochtitlan was actually built on one of these lakes. Modern Mexican food is quite a bit different from Aztec food, although there are certain things still in common with the ancient traditions of the past. The Aztecs were already making tortillas, they were making tamales, and making a lot of other foods that were relatively similar to what you would eat in Mexico today. But they didn't have a lot of the same ingredients. One of the main ingredients that they were missing is large animals. The Aztecs had no large livestock animals, so they weren't able to use any dairy, and uh, they also didn't really eat a whole lot of meat. When they needed to get protein, they had to be very creative about where to source their protein from. So you find them eating a lot of small animals, and also a lot of things that come from the lakes themselves. Um, the Aztecs were very creative in how they used their lakes. They figured out how to cultivate crops on the surface of the lakes in uh, man-made islands. They also figured out how how to harvest insects and algae, spirulina algae, and various other things from the waters, including a very special ingredient that we are going to be cooking with today. Now, most of the information about the Aztecs uh, and about what their food looked like comes from one particular source. Um, this is the source that we heard in the very beginning, the quote from. This is a text that's actually 12 books long called the Florentine Codex. It was compiled by a Spanish Franciscan monk after the Spanish conquest of Mexico named Bernardo de Sahagún. And Sahagún was really interested in documenting the culture of the Aztecs, and for this reason, the Florentine Codex is sometimes considered the first modern ethnography. Um, it covers all different information about the daily life of the Aztecs, and it also tells you quite a bit about their food. So I'm going to be making two different recipes that are not uh, given directly in the Florentine Codex, but they are both described in the Florentine Codex. Among the various dizzying array of different food that you can buy in the markets of Tenochtitlan in the 1500s, um, these are two things that people might have seen and might have been eating. Hi, I'm Fiorella DiCarlo, and I'm a registered dietitian and a foodie, and I am fascinated by ancient food culture. And today we're going to talk about the ancient Aztecs. They had a primarily vegetarian diet with the main grain being maize, but they also had some gorgeously, beautifully colored veggies and foods like avocado, peppers, squash, pumpkin, and of course, the highly revered cacao. They had about two meals a day, three for laborers, and had a custom of dropping a bit of food on the ground 
before dining just so that the gods could eat as well. Their healing was part sorcery and part expert herbalism. They healed in a haze of incense, incantations, and medicinal herbs. In 1552, the Badianus manuscript compiled 3,000 of these ancient Aztec herbs and remedies that are revered up until this day. So Andrew is gonna make a great authentic ancient Aztec meal today. I'm gonna to go set the table and we will see you soon. So we're going to start off by making our spiral seashell tamales with a bean filling. To make these, we're gonna be making a corn flour dough using about two cups of masa harina or corn flour, which you can find at Latin American or Mexican markets. And we're also gonna be wrapping them in corn husks. Now these are dry corn husks, but the ones that we're actually going to be using have to be soaked for about 30 minutes before uh, we start rolling them to make them really soft. And we're also gonna be using two teaspoons of salt going into the dough and about three quarter cups of water. This is a ratio that comes from modern tamale recipes. Although, as we'll see, it's actually really different uh, in certain ways from how tamales look today. The filling is going to be made from beans, black beans. I'm using a can of beans, but you could also use fresh ones. And I'm also gonna add a little bit of chili powder and salt to the filling, uh, since those are the two major condiments used by the Aztecs. And we're also gonna use a special Mexican herb. Um, this is something called hoja santa in modern Mexico. Um, the fresh hoja santa leaves, which are quite large, can actually be used to wrap tamales, but um, instead we're gonna be just placing a little piece inside of the corn husk to give it a flavor. So in order to make our seashell spiral tamales, the first thing that we need to make, of course, is the bean filling that goes inside to create the seashell shape. I have just a can of black beans, and since they're already really soft, um, in order for this recipe to work, I have to cook out some of the moisture and make sure they're as dry as possible. So I'm gonna start off by just cooking them in a saucepan until some of the water evaporates. Now, so as I'm doing this, I can also just use a spoon to sort of mush the beans. They're already really soft because they were from a can, so just make sure that they get into a kind of smooth texture. I'm also going to add a little bit of chili powder, or uh, chili flakes in this case, and salt. These are the two main condiments that are used by the Aztecs, and chili and salt are so important in the Aztec diet that abstaining from just these two ingredients was a kind of religious fast. The Aztecs did a lot of religious fasting, and um, chili and salt was the most basic one that they would do. Okay. So I'm just gonna continue to mash up the beans as much as I can until they start to get kind of dry looking. This is actually almost like making refried beans where the beans are mashed, but one of the most important differences between traditional Aztec diet and modern Mexican cooking is, uh, as, we'll, as we'll see, that the Aztecs didn't cook with any fat. So really all the ingredients that we're using are vegetable based. Now it's starting to get really mushy and starting to look more like a paste, which is good. I'm just gonna cook it a little bit longer because we want it to be dry or else the spiral is not gonna work. 
All right. I'm gonna take these beans off the heat and let them cool down a little bit while we make the dough for the tamales. The main difference between this type of dough that we're making and modern Mexican tamal dough is that we're not using any fat. The Aztecs didn't have any large livestock animals. They didn't really have any sources of animal fat in their diet. They had no dairy, they had no um, butter or any oil or anything like that. We're really just relying on corn flour and water. So, um, this is about two cups of masa harina, or corn flour, which you can find at Mexican or Latin American grocery stores. Then I have about a three-quarter cup of water and also two teaspoons of salt. I'm just gonna mix everything together. I'm just gonna mix this together and I'm also gonna knead it for a little bit. I find that kneading this dough, because it's really only made of flour and water and salt, I find that you have to knead the dough quite a bit to make it flexible, because the idea is we want it to be flexible enough to hold the shape of the final product. Now, some types of modern tamales are um, have a much more liquid consistency before they're cooked. Um, sometimes it's actually really more of a batter. This, I'm making it into a solid dough um, so that it can hold the shape that we're trying to get it to hold rather than um, a, a semi-liquid. There are still uh, tamales filled with beans that are a little bit similar, sometimes with layers inside of them made in parts of Mexico, such as in Oaxaca. Actually, when I was um, figuring out how to make this recipe, I was doing a lot of research and watching videos of different styles of making tamales, and that was one that I noticed was that these sort of layered tamales, where there's um, a layer of dough and then a layer of the mashed beans, which sounds pretty similar to what Sahagun is describing in the Florentine Codex. So this is almost fully stuck together, but we still need to keep kneading it because we really want it to get um, as sticky as possible. Just add a little tiny bit more water. That should be enough. All right, now it's starting to look like a more proper dough. And as I said, we just have to keep kneading this for a while. When you're kneading dough, what you're actually doing is you're encouraging the molecules to bond with each other, which is why the more you knead the dough, the tougher it gets. Um, so that's actually what we want to happen here, because we want this to really stick together so that it will hold the shape. Um, these are also not going to be very large tamales, uh, which will also help keep the shape. So now taken out of the bowl, I'm gonna just continue kneading this a little bit more just so that it gets as flexible as we can possibly get it without having any added fat. Since it really is just flour, water, and salt. Corn was of course a really important part of the Aztec diet. And the Aztecs ate corn in a variety of different ways. They made corn stews, they made tortillas and tacos. They also made many different kinds of tamales. There's lots of different filled tamales that are described in texts like the Florentine Codex. There's even a tamal that has a filling made from corn silk, which I always found really interesting. That's another recipe I'd like to make sometime. The Aztecs had also figured out a chemical process, which is still uh, the name for that that we use in English, is actually derived from the Aztec language. It's called nixtamalization. Nixtamalization basically is a process of 
allowing um, the maximum nutritional potential of the corn to be released. So the corn is treated with some sort of an alkaline solution. The Aztecs used to make an alkaline solution either from wood ash or for people who lived close to the coast, they would actually use burned uh, seashells. And they would have to do this before um, actually grinding and eating the corn uh, to release all the nutrients inside of it. So now you can, if you look at the dough, you can see it's really starting to stick together more. And that's exactly what we want because we really want it to have that beautiful shape of a seashell. All right. Looks like we're just about ready to start shaping them. I'm just gonna make it into a ball and then we can start. So as I said, these are not gonna be very large tamales and we're also using a solid dough instead of a batter. Sometimes you'll see recipes where they take the, the corn husk and they actually just take a spoonful of batter and put it on the inside, but this is a much more solid sort of um, dumpling that we're making. These are the corn husks. I've already soaked these for about half an hour to make them really soft and bendy. This is a Mexican herb called hoja santa. If I had fresh hoja santa, the leaves would be more flexible and you could actually wrap tamales in them. But instead, we're just gonna put a little tiny bit inside. So I'm going to take a small lump of this corn flour dough and I'm gonna roll it into a ball first. And then I'm gonna flatten it out and I'm gonna make a roughly, a roughly rectangular shape out of it because I want it to be rolled into a cylinder. And it's gonna be about the size of my hand. And as you can see, it's already kind of breaking at the edges a little bit, which is okay. So we have to be just careful about that to make it really hold its shape. And I'm just gonna squish it a little bit on the sides, make it more of a, of a rectangle. Now, Sahagun, in the Florentine Codex, he describes the shape of these tamales as being kind of unusual. He says that they're not really square and not really round. Um, so what I've ended up creating is something that's more of a cylinder, more of a pellet shape. So now the next thing is, you're gonna go back to your bean paste, which should be very dry right now. And it's cool, it's still warm, but it's cool enough that I can just touch it with my hand. And you can see how dry it is that it doesn't leave any behind um, when I touch it with my fingers. And this I'm also just gonna kind of make it flat and spread it out. Similar to if you were rolling sushi, you wanna leave a little bit of space at one end, but I'm just gonna spread the filling onto the corn dough. Just take as much as I need to cover it and I'm making, it's gonna be a, quite a thin layer, but just enough so that it's, uh, so that it's visible. All right. So I'm gonna kind of rub it off my hands. So now we have a square, or roughly a square, of about the size of my hand, and I've left a little bit of space at the bottom here. So now what I'm gonna do is roll it into a cylinder. It really is a lot like sushi. You have to be pretty careful here because the corn dough is fragile and it has a tendency to start cracking. Um, but if you do it slowly, you should be able to get it into the shape. And now once it's been rolled, I'm gonna roll it a little bit so that the outside is sealed. And there we go. I'm also gonna press it in at the edge, at the ends a little bit. Now, if you really want it to be more um, eye-catching, you can actually slice off the end of it, which I have a knife. 
So if you slice it, you can see there's the actual seashell shape is inside. And that's the shape that we want, which should be at the top. Um, what I've been doing is you can actually cut off the top so that you can really see the seashell and then just take this little piece and put it at the bottom. You're not going to see the bottom until you unwrap the corn uh, husk and actually start eating it. Now, it's time to wrap it inside of a corn husk. So you'll notice when you take these that they have a pointy end and a flat end. Um, basically what you're going to be doing is putting it inside right in the center, fold it over like this, and then fold the flat end up. Um, so the flat end will actually be open, but so it's going to look like this when it gets steamed. So we're just going to be putting this, put it inside, leaving the end that we cut that has the visible spiral shape, leave it like that. And I'm just going to wrap it in a corn husk and fold it. And that's it. Now it's ready to be steamed. So I'm going to do this with the rest of them. We should be able to make several more, but for now I can just put this one here to the side. Some of your corn husks may actually be much bigger than you need. These aren't very large, so you can always tear the corn husk in half if you need to. Um, and any halves of the corn husk, any pieces that you have, when we start steaming them over here, as you can see, I've actually already put some corn husks in the bottom. So you can use the corn husk pieces to line the bottom of the, of the pot. I'm also, while I continue to make the rest of them, I'm just going to turn the water on and let it boil so that it's really ready for when we start steaming. So I'm going to show you how to roll the tamales. Now, as I said, these are much more solid than a lot of modern recipes for tamales, so we don't have to worry too much about them leaking liquid from the husk. When you pick up a corn husk, you will notice that it has a flat end and a pointy end. You're basically going to be putting the tamal inside when the flat end is going to stay open. Um, this one is actually so big that we can just rip it in half, because these are pretty small, so we're only going to use half of this. So open up the flat end facing down, and then I'm going to take a little piece of that herb that I was talking about, hoja santa, put a little piece of the leaf in the center, and then take your tamal. Notice the spiral shape now. So put it in the center, and you're just going to fold both sides over, and then fold this up. So when it's folded, it should look like this, and the flat end is going to stay open. When they're cooking, you can have them sitting like that or upright if there's enough of them to fill the inside of your container. All right, so now that the tamales are all wrapped, now it's time to actually steam them. So I've got the steamer over here. As you can see, it's already running. There's a lot of steam coming out. So I'm just going to place them gently inside. Make sure that you have the folded pointy side of the corn husk facing down so that it doesn't unwrap. And the last thing I'm going to do before I cover this is I'm going to put another layer to trap in as much steam as possible. So I'm just going to put a washcloth over. And now we're going to let this steam for about 30 or 40 minutes. You'll notice that they're finished when cooking when you start to see a change in the color. Um, you'll d there's a definite difference between the color of a cooked tamal and an uncooked dough that we have here. So now, while we're waiting for them to cook, let's make our stew. Now, the original literary source just describes this dish as frogs stewed with green chilies. So I've added a bunch of different ingredients that we can imagine that the Aztecs might have used. So naturally, I'm going to be using 
frog meat. As you can see, these frogs have already been skinned and cleaned, which I had the vendor do for me when I purchased them, so you can always have someone do the uh, dirty work for you. I'm also using an assortment of different green chilies, including jalapenos. I'm using some tomatoes, as well as tomatillos, which are related to the tomato, and they look rather like a small green tomato, but they're more sour. Um, when you remove their papery outside, and also some water and some salt and chili powder, which are two of the major condiments used by the Aztecs. And then this ingredient here, which I'm particularly excited about, is a special Mexican herb called epazote, which you can only find at Mexican stores. Um, I bought it at a Mexican market in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. Epazote has a really strong, pungent flavor, and we're gonna add it at the very end to give it this that flavor to the stew. So the Aztecs did all of their cooking since they didn't have any animal fat, so they weren't able to fry anything. So they did their cooking mostly over a flat, um, sort of griddle called a comal. Comal is the modern Spanish name. The Aztec name was comali. So in order to kind of replicate the flavor of vegetables that have been roasted over a comal, the first thing I'm going to actually do before I put these uh, vegetables into a pot and try to make a stew out of them is I'm gonna char them on the outside. I'm gonna get them nice and blackened and burned so that they have that flavor as if they were cooked over an open fire. Um, I have a gas burner here, so all I have to do is turn it on. And then I'm gonna take these different vegetables or fruits, as the case may be, because these are technically fruits, and I'm gonna take them and just hold them one by one over the open flame with tongs until they start to get kind of black and blistery. You can see it's already getting a little bit charred on the outside which is what we want. I'm just gonna let them get a little bit black. Yeah, like you see how this one is starting to get a little bit black. That's what we want. You could also, if you didn't have a gas burner, you could also do this in the oven, although it's really the direct contact of the flame that makes it like nice and charred. Um, but it would still have a similar flavor from being roasted in the oven. I'm using an assortment of different green chilies. Now the original Aztec recipe just says to use green chilies. Um, or again, it's not even really a recipe, just our description that we have to go on in the Florentine Codex. So I'm using jalapenos and also another larger type of chili, but I've heard that um, a type of chili called hatch chilies are supposed to be, or Anaheim I think is their other name, are supposed to be the best green chilies to use for stew. Um, although those I was unable to get, probably they're something that's seasonally available or maybe only in some areas. I'm not really a chili expert. Yeah, so this one's really black on the outside. That's what we want. You can start to smell how like charred they're getting too, which is good. Aside from the green chilies, I'm using some other ingredients that would be very common in Aztec cuisine. Tomatoes, of course. The name tomato even comes from the Aztec language. Their original name for it is tomat. Um, so I'm using tomatoes, and I'm also using another similar fruit that's related to the tomato called tomatillo. Tomatillos are these little green guys and as you can see, they do look rather similar to tomatoes, but they have a much more sour flavor. And actually, the ones that I'm using, which I got from a Mexican store, 
are a specific type of tomatillo called milpero, which is even more sour than the usual ones. So I have to keep an eye on these because I don't want them to get all messy. Tomatoes have a lot of liquid inside. So this is just to give them a little bit of charred flavor on the outside. Don't want them to explode. They're not gonna explode. Yeah, yeah just a little bit of black is fine. I find that in doing all this historical cooking and all this ancient inspired cooking, I find that that's one thing that is hard to replicate in a modern kitchen is the flavor of cooking over an open fire. Um, I think probably just about everyone's cuisine, every food before modern industrial kitchens, every food had that flavor in it. And it's so hard to, so hard to get it without just actually cooking over a fire. So you can see the skin is starting to get a little bit black. That's good. The very last step is the tomatillos. Um, if you're not familiar with tomatillos and with their use in modern Mexican cuisine, the main thing that you might have eaten that has tomatillos in them is um, green salsa. That's what they're generally known for being used in today. Tomatoes are actually in a family in which there are many other poisonous plants, a family called the Solanaceae, which also includes things like deadly nightshade. And so when Europeans first encountered them, they were very wary of them. And it led to people, when they were brought back to Europe, it led to people not wanting to eat tomatoes, thinking that tomatoes might be poisonous. Tomatoes didn't actually catch on in European cuisine until they were already known to Europeans for quite some time, which is ironic because the Aztecs had already been eating them for such a long time. Nobody thought to ask them, I guess. So now our fruits and vegetables have gotten softened up a little and they're a little bit black on the outside. They have that nice charred flavor. It's time for us to make our stew. So I'm just gonna cut all these different slightly charred fruits and vegetables into pieces of about the same size. And then after that, I'm gonna take our main ingredient and also cut it into pieces of about the same size. I've mentioned already how the Aztecs did not cook with animal fat, and they also did not cook with a lot of ingredients that we might associate with Mexican food today, a lot of ingredients that we might expect them to have had. So this is a cuisine in which there is no cilantro, there's no lime, and there isn't even a consensus over whether or not the Aztecs used onion. Um, there is one wild species of onion that they might have used, but we're not really certain uh, whether or not they cooked with it. This is not going to contain any onion at all. Once these are all chopped together, I'm just gonna add them together to the pot. So I'm gonna have the keto on medium and I'm gonna cook the tomatoes and the tomatillos a little bit first. And then I'm gonna add the peppers and we're also gonna add some more water before we add the meat. Now I've mentioned how the Aztecs didn't have a lot of livestock animals and they didn't have any large livestock animals. So they had to be very creative about where they were going to get their protein from. Um, and this is why they ate so many small animals, things like the frog that we're going to be using. They also especially used a lot of protein sources that they got from the lakes that they lived near. Frog is one of the protein sources that could come from a lake. And of course they ate a lot of fish, but we also know that the Aztecs were eating crayfish freshwater crustaceans. They were eating axolotl, 
uh, or Asholotl is the original pronunciation, which are a type of water salamander, the name of which actually comes from the Aztec language. Those were eaten. And they also ate a lot of insects, including water insect eggs that they would harvest from the water. They also harvested spirulina algae, which we still recognize as having a lot of um, health benefits and still eaten today. So I'm just cutting all of these into roughly the same size chunks. And I'm just throwing them all in. So right now, as the vegetables are just cooking in the pot, I'm going to add about a cup of water. And we want them to be really start to liquefy. We want them to get really soft before we even add the frog. I'm also going to cover it. And I'm going to add a little bit of salt and chili powder later, the favorite Aztec condiment. So while we're waiting for our vegetables to get nice and soft before we add the meat, um, I wanted to talk a little about frog. If you've never eaten frog before, it tastes a little bit like chicken and a little bit like white fish. Um, it's kind of like halfway between. I got my frogs from an Asian marketplace where they were still alive. And uh, if you do find frogs that are still alive, you can always ask the vendor to clean them and take the skin off and all of that, which is what I did. Um, so they were given to me basically ready to be cooked. I'm going to cut them into pieces of about the same size as the vegetables. I have three very large frogs here, so um, each one is just going to be cut into a few pieces. Sometimes you'll see just the hind legs of frogs sold as food, but you can actually eat meat from a whole animal. So it's about five pieces for each frog that I'm cutting them into. I'm basically just cutting the body in half and then cutting the legs off. I'm gonna add a little bit of chili and salt. And I'm also going to I'm also going to add a little bit more water. I'm trying to especially break up the tomatoes as they start to cook, because we want those to really liquefy. Tomatoes tend to be very mushy in soup. So after about 10 or 15 minutes of cooking, when the vegetables are starting to get really soft, then you can add the frog meat. And then you can cook it for another 15 to 20 minutes until the meat starts to be fully cooked. You'll tell when the meat is fully cooked when it turns white and it'll be easily uh, separated from the bone, similar to fish. So I'm going to go ahead and add the frog. Now, the Aztecs had so many different plants at their disposal that we don't really know how what kind of herbs Aztec chefs might be using. Doubtless, there were lots and lots of different ones that they could incorporate into something like this. So I'm going to be adding that at the very end to flavor the soup as one possible, uh, one possible ingredient that might have been used. So while we're waiting for the stew to be finished, I'm going to check on our tamales that have been steaming over here and see how those are doing. I can actually smell the hoja santa leaf. One of the English names of that herb, by the way, of hoja santa, um, it's sometimes called Mexican pepper leaf because it has a really nice peppery sort of smell. And the Aztecs also recognized that it has a nice smell. Um, the Aztec name of it means fragrant medicine, I think. Fragrant medicinal herb. So these are pretty much, I'm gonna open a tamal for us to see. 
When you touch them, they feel a little more spongy and soft than they did before. Um, and you can see that also the color is different than it was when they went in. So these are pretty much done now. Um, and if you cut it open, you should be able to see that as well. You can still see the, uh, you can still see the spiral on the top of it. So since these are pretty much done, I'm going to go ahead and shut the steam off. And we can set the table with those. Hey Andrew, what do you think about my table setting? It's beautiful. I love that you have so many different colors. There's a lot of red and blue, and you also have lots of different fruits and vegetables that are originally native to Mexico. And this is so interesting because I know that you mentioned that there wasn't a lot of fat in the cooking process, mm -hmm. but it's so great that they had avocados as part of their diet because some of the vegetables are so rich in A, K, E, or D vitamins, which are fat-soluble vitamins that need some fat for them to be absorbed. So that's yes. really great. Yeah, and actually a fun fact about avocados and their fat content, the Aztecs did have certain small animals that they raised for food, including dogs, mm. and they actually used to give avocado to dogs that they were fattening up for Wow, eating. but lucky dogs though. Yeah. <laughs> what we're eating today is going to be a stew, an mm -hmm. Aztec-style stew made from green chili peppers, tomatoes, and frog meat, oh, another great. meat that was eaten by the Aztecs. And we also have tamales that are made with a bean filling in the shape of a spiral on the top. Wow, and is it true that right before they started a meal, they would drop a bit of food on the ground so that the gods could eat as well? Yes, the Aztecs made lots of sacrifices and they were always very concerned about their gods and food was a gift from the gods, especially corn, which is their most sacred crop. And they also had a process to release some of the nutritional content out of the corn. Yes, so the process that you're referring to is called nixtamalization, is the English word, and that actually comes from the original Aztec name. Um, basically, in order to release the maximum nutritional potential of the corn, um, the corn needs to be processed by um, being treated with an alkaline solution. Mm -hmm. So what they would do is create something called lime water uh, by mixing water and wood ash or sometimes even ashes from burned seashells. And then they would mix that and treat the corn. And this is so fascinating to me to understand that in some sort of intuitive way to do that, mm -hmm. to prepare this corn. And also, like you said, the nutritional content release that would have not have been otherwise released without this process are the B vitamins like niacin and riboflavin. And actually, even more importantly, it released a lot of amino acids too as well from this grain. Mm -hmm. And because they had a primarily vegetarian diet, when they combined the corn that has these amino acids released, and the beans, they had a complete protein. Absolutely. And the Aztecs had to be really creative about where they got their protein from because they didn't have large livestock animals. Exactly. Fascinating. Yeah. So what are we having today? So it, since the Aztecs ate a diet that didn't have a lot of meat, um, something like this that contains frog meat would probably be served for a special banquet, maybe for wealthy people. And at such a special occasion, Aztec uh, diners would have individual bowls of a soup or a stew or something. And then there would be baskets on the table uh, with tamales and tortillas. Ooh. And you could take a tamal or a tortilla and dip it into your bowl. Oh, great. So that's what we'll do. Let's do that. Sure. So you can take one. Ooh, I don't want to and then just, one. Yeah, it's just beautiful. unwrap the corn husk. There's also a leaf of an herb in there called oja santa, but just oh. to give it flavor so oh. you don't have to eat that part. Okay. Um, I'm going to take one as well. These are very similar to today's tamales. 
They're, well, one big difference is that they're made without any fat. There's no fat used in the dough. And um, in some ways they're similar though. The, the basic process of wrapping it in corn husk is pretty much the same. This is great. Okay, so shall we pick up our bowl? Yes, there's a lot of chilies in the soup. There's also even some chili uh, flakes in the filling of the tamales. Oh, that's great. And the spiciness, you know, they have a lot of the capsaicin and they have a huge boost your metabolism. Another healthy ingredient. Yes. But I'm dying to have mm -hmm. this little Yeah, bit I'm going to try some of that. Yeah. You can tell that the frog meat is fully cooked because it separates really easily from the bone. And it looks a lot like chicken when it's cooked. It really does. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not a profound flavor uh, profile. It just kind of takes on the flavor of the rest of the ingredients. Yeah. Mm. Really good. Yeah, I got the, um, well, before I used the vegetables in the soup, I was charring them on the outside. So they have That's a little bit of That's the smoky flavor. Mm -hmm. That's great. Nice detail on that. I'm Fiorella. And I'm Andrew. And this is Eggs to Apples. Ancient recipes in a modern kitchen. your drum, give of yourself, no friendship, let your hearts be carried away with many colors. Only here in this life are granted to us our tobacco pipes, our flowers, our youth.